Hello, welcome to a kind of Christmas New Year jamboree uh, that we recorded backstage at the Hammersmith Apollo when uh, we were doing the uh, Brian and Robbins Compendium of Reason. I'm really sorry, Josie. I've been seeing other podcast partners mm. behind your back. So sad. Uh, the TV star, <laughs> Brian Coggs. Um, the, uh, and apparently does some science as well. It's all right, isn't it? Um, anyway, so this, these, these are uh, a series of uh, brief interviews where people talk about their favourite books, including Helen Chersky, Jim Al-Khalili, Chris Hadfield and Sophie Ellis-Bexter. And just to note, uh, obviously, if you've listened to any of these kind of end-of-year uh, festivally backstage book shambles before, you will know that the sound quality is varied. Sometimes people are sound-checking, sometimes we're chatting in stairwells, sometimes we're in a, in a perfectly fine dressing room where the sound is lovely. But just keep that in mind as you're listening. And also just to note that uh, since these were done pre-show and during the show while people were running around madly doing all sorts of things. Uh, some of the interviews are done by Robin, some of them are done by myself and uh, quite a few of them are done by one of the other producers on the Cosmic Shambles Network, Melinda. This is part one of the end of year backstagey collection podcast and there will be another one in the next couple of days. We hope you enjoy. Um, it's an ace books this year actually, really I find the stupid thing is because I just I'm, I'm reading, reading, reading always for some kind of bit of research, yeah. and then when I actually think what I've been reading, I've got no idea. Sometimes your mind goes blank, doesn't it? Oh, I know. I was reading House on the Borderland yesterday, which is a uh, um, kind of one of those very mysterious late nineteenth century horror novels where oh. someone has found a journal. While I was on my travels, I found this is what happened on the journal, and then it's a journal of someone going. And then the swine-faced creatures snorted up towards me. Uh, it's good. Alan Moore likes it. When, when was it actually written? It would have been at the end of the 19th century. Wow. And then the gig that I went to last night is in an old army town and it's in a kind of barracks where all the windows are boarded up so it even looks like, oh. welcome to the asylum. You can still sometimes hear the dead mad screaming. Um, <laughs> so, Sophie Aspector, what have you been reading uh, in 2017? Um, so, at the moment, I'm halfway through a book called Confessions of a Junior Doctor. Uh, which is that, is, that's not the Adam Cave. Exactly that, oh. yeah. So, uh, non-fiction... Uh, really funny, uh, bittersweet because it is a really humorous insight into the ridiculous um, burden of being a junior doctor in an NHS and it is pro- one of those books that I probably annoy people when I'm reading it because I keep laughing because it is properly funny um, but also you can't, yeah, some of the, um, the stretches are sort of uh, almost sort of superhuman qualities you're supposed to possess if you're a junior doctor like not really needing sleep or mm. money or a social life uh, <laughs> um, so that's really good I'm really enjoying that and then I've also read a book called The Nicks which oh, yeah. I absolutely loved um, it's a first novel and hopefully you can help me with the hits by it's, we turn to Trent who has sat in the corner sofa with the internet <laughs> yeah. the internet shall yeah. be our mind it is really good um, so just, just go, while we get to that so Adam yeah. Kay's book yeah. I presume that whenever I've talked to junior doctors they basically say that their, their pockets are just filled with cereal bars that's it cereal bars and then nourishment drinks every now mm-hmm. and again and that is so is it it's kind of because I haven't read it yet and I know I should because every bookshop I go to right. they go you've got to read this people oh, just really? love this book oh. and it's and I think he won an award in the last he might have won something like the People's Choice okay. uh, reading award, but he's because I've only seen him 
as he does a very funny kind of quite rude musical act. Really? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Ah, uh, okay. So I know him. So I, I saw him at Blue Dot. Uh, so I think the last time I saw him, the Blue Dot Festival, and it is yeah, it's it's kind of uh, you know a little bit blue, little Ooh, bit blue, fun. A little bit blue. Uh, but so you didn't know about that side of him at I all? Did not. No, I mean this is my first introduction to his name really, and my mum recommended it to me. She said she'd just finished it and thought it was really funny. And um, it's based on these diaries he kept during his time as a junior doctor. And um, you already know when he starts that he's not going to continue in this lifestyle for long. So you can sort of see the deterioration of his, I suppose, his dreams of what he thought it would be like and then um, where he finds himself. Oh, you're right, it's called that. Yes, This Is Going To Hurt is the right. title. Confessions of a Junior Doctor is the, the subheading. <laughs> it's obviously the bit that stuck with me. <laughs> and now, then, so the Knicks is the next one. Yeah, the your... Knicks. Um, so the Knicks is one of those satisfying big reads. Um, still definitely doable on holiday, but it's uh, got loads of levels to it, lots of nice characters. Um, it's witty. Um, it's It starts off, and it's essentially about... Um, a man, I guess he's in his 30s and he's got this very awkward relationship with his mum and then he finds out through the news that his mum has done a, been sort of quite politically active she's thrown stones at a politician that she didn't like and then it's about him sort of uncovering the history of his mum really his mum's story and there's a few twists and turns along yeah. the way <laughs> yes, uh, by Nathan Hill and it's also got a really nice cover so you look quite nice while you're reading it Nice I do it. judge a book by a cover. I think that's totally yeah. fine. Yeah, I do as well. there, there are ones you just go, oh, they've used a wonderful old 1930s black and white photograph of a, a gummy woman in an old <laughs> saloon bar in the East End. I think I'm drawn to this particular novel. Um, what, what do, you, do you find there's a difference between reading at home? If you're on tour, are you able to read on tour? Are you able to, or is your mind so... Um. To be honest, I'm not as nearly as good a reader as I used to be and it's something I've made a conscious effort this year to get better at because I used to read so much when I was young and I love getting lost in a book. I think it's a wonderful feeling but I guess um, the pace of you know contemporary life and having young children and all that just means that sometimes it seems... The thing about reading a book is you have to be an active participant in the relationship you form with the book. You've got to, you know keep track of the story remember the characters turn the pages and I think sometimes when you want to have time to yourself it's so much easier just to watch something on telly or listen to something or just you know switch off a little bit where you can be passive in your role but with a book you've got to make an effort really what were the books that built you are there certain books that were around the house and you think that because there's a point where you just find the book and you go oh I love reading definitely I think there are a few actually I remember when I read a book called Jenny um, but I think his name is Paul Gallico when I was probably about eight or nine, and that made that was the first book that made me cry, and Black Beauty as well around that time. Um, and then I got quite sort of showy offy about reading and tried to read a book a day for a while. But I would wow. read quite adult books. I'd read things like Silence of the Lambs and um, I'm trying to remember. I mean, I'd literally sort of grab anything Lauren has, and the bigger, the more sort of impressive a big thick book it looked, the more I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to read that in a day. Um, uh, you know, unbearable lightness of being. I'd be like, yeah, I've read that. I probably didn't. I probably Oh, skimmed. I love Kundra. I love Kundra. I mean, <laughs> yeah. the way Kundra d- deals with both, both, both humour and the anxiety of being human. I love Kundra. Uh, yeah, I love it too. Um, so that was probably when I was in my sort of early double figures, I think. Um, what have you ever lied about? Have you, is there a book where you have found yourself in a social situation? Because I once lied mm. about... I have actually read it now, but a few years ago I was reading a David Foster Wallace book on the train 
And this guy came up to me and he went, oh, I love David Foster Wallace. You know, you, you know have you read Infinite Jest? Which Infinite Jest is kind of, I suppose, I the late, it's, it's the late 20th, early 21st century Ulysses, really. Right. And, uh, and for some reason, I just went, yeah. And they went, oh, you know that scene with, and you go, well, do you know what I find fascinating? That, And you kind of find all these opt-outs to yes. see, can I create the illusion? Of, yes. I don't know why I said it. It was just a stranger on a train to Hemel Hempstead. But I, I lied well, at that point. sometimes the time spent explaining that you haven't might have led to a different style of conversation than you felt you wanted to have with that stranger. So yeah, it's probably yeah. easier, it's quicker just to say, yeah, definitely, I love that. <laughs> That's a great scene. Um, yeah, I lied this year. Um, I was on tour, we went to the Ukraine and we went to Kiev and there is uh, the house of the gentleman who wrote The Master and Marguerite, who Oh, Bulgakov, Bulgakov, exactly. Yeah. So we went to Bulgakov's house and this rather eccentric woman showed us around the house with a very thick Ukrainian accent and she was um, certain that we had all read, not even The Master and Marguerite, which... I would argue is the most sort of well-known of his books, mm. but one called The White Palace. Right. So this whole house was painted white. And one member of our party said that they hadn't read that book and she was quite cross about it. So I just said I had read that mm. one and my, everything, basically. I read all of it. It's, it's um, my favourite of the palace yeah. stories, yeah. of all of the palace stories I've read. And yeah. I also think it's better than D.M. Thomas's The White Hotel, oh. which is probably one of my least favourite of the white books. <laughs> yeah, it's so much. Book. I, have you got, because I realise that now, next year, I'm, my attempt is going to be to say no to more things so I have time to read and kind oh, of study nice. stuff. And I, yet again, I just looked and I thought it's nearly the 1st of January and there's that copy of James Joyce's Ulysses that I still haven't read. Mm. 2018's going to be the year. Really? For Ulysses? No, of course it won't. <laughs> this time next year we'll be sitting here again and I'll go, oh, so close. Yeah, but if you say a new lie, you said you read it, I won't be able to correct you because I didn't make it through the first couple of pages, I don't think. I think I've done about 100 pages okay, and that was yeah. a long time well, ago. I think, though, that there's a sort of weird guilt you feel if you don't finish a book whereas I think it's totally okay if you've got a hundred pages in and it's not working for you shut that book and put it down it's okay but I think you've got to give it a chance my my thing is always gets beyond 50 pages because normally if you get to 50 pages and you're enjoying it you whip through and you're suddenly at 100 and you're not really aware of that I yeah. think if you get to page sort of 40 you're going mm, just give another little little push and see because normally you'll sort of know by then won't you 50 to 100 pages do you think yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's like with certain films where you suddenly go from possible boredom into going, oh, now there yeah. is the elation and, exactly. and, the, and the delight of them. Who is your author that you would most recommend to other people? You know, sometimes there's people you just go, oh, there's their books, so I'm going to buy that again. I mean, like I was thinking today I was in the uh, Oxfam in... No, it was in the Amnesty for Books in... Uh, or no, Books for Amnesty, not Amnesty for Books. That sounds like it's kind of the beginning of uh, Fahrenheit, you know, Ray Bradbury novel. Yeah, if you bring your books now, we won't burn down your house. No, it's the other way around it's the books very much for for amnesty and um they had john burger's ways of seeing based on his tv series and, mm -hmm. I, and that's one book that i will keep buying and go here you go here you go here you go yeah um the little prince which oh, I i've just been reading that with my eight-year-old actually <gasps> oh, i've never read it before oh, have you yeah. got to the end no we're about oh, three quarters man. Of the way through you're gonna find yourself crying like you did when you first read oh, that poor gallico no. okay i read i read a bit of the ending at my uh in fact it's it's exactly uh, two years ago today since my mum died. And I read uh, The Little Prince at a funeral because she had a copy of that oh. book. It was like the book that she'd had, I think, when it first came out, when she was six years old. And there's a, there's, it's such a beautiful book, it is isn't beautiful. it? It is beautiful. So there's the snake 
the, you, the snake's kind of right. Yeah, we're just kind of getting into that bit, but um, it's really nice actually because my eight-year-old kid, he's really into the whole thing. I think it suits his the way his mind works. He's enjoying the sort of I suppose it's very um, abstract, isn't it? And he likes all of that. Um, well, I like the, the fact that because the, there's that lovely rose with only one thorn yeah. that he talks about. And I just interviewed um, Scott Kelly, the astronaut who spent 340 days on the ISS. Uh, and his book Endurance has a bit where at one point when he was up there, they were doing research into plants. Because obviously they're trying to grow things mm-hmm. to find out about then when they grow, th- they'll need to grow things if they're going to Mars. And... He talks about getting NASA's permission to actually start to touch the plants and help nurture the plants and his relationship with the plants when he's there on the ISS. And that, suddenly I just thought of the little prince where all he's thinking in the desert is, oh, I'm so worried about my my flower. Will my flower be able to protect itself? Oh, that's nice. Yeah, I suppose that's something about that, the innocence of that kind of beauty, you know? Mm. Beauty you get in nature like that. Um... And the idea of it being on a planet where no one's even around to sort of appreciate that or be attracted to it. Um, I, should, I should give special commendations well to another book I read this year called The Girls. Have you read The Girls? No. Oh, that's really good. Who's that by? Um, it is uh, by... Trent? <laughs> yeah, I think all my brain... Yeah, my, I think my brain cells don't support this sort of information. Which is disappointing. Um, it's all. It's based on the Manson girls. Oh, I've yeah. heard about Emma this. Klein, yeah, there you go. Emma Klein. It's really good. I really loved it. It's got a great tone. Um, you know, the protagonist is really well realised. Um, she really captures that teenage. Um, it's not just angst. It's sort of coming into yourself and not really being sure exactly what kind of version of a young woman you're going to be, I suppose. It's really good. And how that um, a cult like the Manson cult might have started. Yeah, it's, it's sinister. Because they've been doing all those weird articles recently, haven't they? Because he's just died. Yeah. And they're all, you know, whatever happened to the man? They're in prison. But whatever. No, they're in prison. That's what happened to them. They haven't done, none of them have opened a hair salon or whatever. They haven't got that kind of narrative. They haven't moved to Eastbourne. They, they, they're in prison. So, sorry, I interrupted you. We're talking about the author oh, that yeah. you adore. Um, I have got a couple. Although one of them, since you asked me a question, the little brain cell, again, just sort of went... Um, it's the woman who wrote behind the scenes at the museum and billions of other books, uh, but that still remains my favourite of her books. But the other author I love is Maggie O'Farrell, and she's an author I've read. I'll read pretty much everything that she brings out just because I really like her way of writing. If I'm buying for someone else, I'm trying to think. Yeah, I mean, I definitely would rely on those or... There's one, um, David Byrne wrote a book called How Music Works, and I bought that for a lot of, oh. a lot of musicians. Kate Atkinson. God, sorry, Kate Atkinson. That's really embarrassing. I've got, like, so many We'll edit it, though. Don't worry. We, 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 we won't have... But I do that all the time. That moment where, like we were saying before, is all of those books... I'm thinking I've just been touring Australia, and I know I read eight books, and I can only remember two of them. Yeah. And there's just, like, it very quickly kind of drifts away, and then I just suddenly remember the H.P. Lovecraft stories that I've been reading. So that is... Um, and I'll ask you this because it's going out at Christmas. Do you have a favourite Christmas story? And it, you, I, I can broaden that out to include films, television, books, whatever. Um, there's an American film called A Christmas Story, which I think is very popular in America, but not so much here. Um, it's about a little boy sort of set in the 50s, and it's about his experience of Christmas time, and it's, it's funny. I mean, I watched it when I was a kid, and now I'll sort of try and, I try and bring it in as a, tr- a tradition with my children. Um, and it's quite silly, 
and lots of awkward bits. And it's sort of about him, yeah, trying to get on with his family. He's about mm, probably about ten, and he really wants a BB gun. Have you seen it? Is he the kid who looks like the Milky Bar kid? Yes, yeah, exactly that. Yeah. yeah, little round glasses and. Yeah, so that one is something I watched when I was small and I was like that. Um, and Christmas book. Uh, well, my five-year-old just got his first copy of The Grinch and he loves that, so we've been reading that a bit. That's a good Doctors one. is so much fun, isn't I it? I know, it's really fun is to it? read aloud. Yeah. The Who's Down in Whosville. It's got real bounce to it. That's what's nice. They're sort of really neat little rhymes. Did you ever see The Lorax? I think it's on at the... Oh, no, it's just stopped being on. It was on at the Old Vic again. Oh, uh, no, it was I a fantastic it. musical of The Lorax. Yeah. One of those ones of puppetry where you can see all the puppeteers and you can see it's all sticks. And I love the fact that it doesn't take you... Do you find that sometimes when you go with your kids' theatre, sometimes you go and see something that's been done with the latest technology and it's actually not as much fun Definitely. as seeing someone in a black body stocking with some sticks yeah. moving a bit of kind of, you know, taffeta around. Definitely. You forget, don't you? You don't see it that way. No, I think it's really nice when it's all quite obvious how it's being done we went to see um, Peter Pan at the National um, probably about this time last year and that was like that you could see that when people were flying across the stage they would use another actor would be sort of linked through the wires and going up and down a ladder to make them sort of you know go up and down and it was really great and you know my children like definitely didn't notice really the mechanism they just thought oh they're flying and oh there's yeah. a big boat and it's really good brilliant I'll let you go back to your sound check <laughs> thank you very much thank you this is Dr. Ben Goldacre. Tell me about your favourite book you've read this year. Uh, my favourite book this year is Two Cheers for Anarchism by James C. Scott, which is a really brief romp through the history of anarchism and what's good about it, what it can achieve, and what's bad about it. And there's a lot that kind of generalises. This is not a self-help book, right? But there's a lot in it that I think generalises for anybody who's thinking about how to change the world or reconfigure the world. And it's nice because it's two cheers for anarchism. It's kind of strengths and weaknesses of the approach. And a Christmas present you'd buy someone? Uh, so there's one book which I had multiple copies of in my house ready to hand over when I've forgotten to buy something to somebody and that is KLF Chaos Magic Music Money by J.M.R. Higgs which is extraordinary and not really about the KLF it's about um, it's about all of the kind of wildest, craziest Alan Moore um, style stuff around how just because magical things aren't necessarily real that doesn't mean that magical beliefs and ideas and and mystical and mythical figures that doesn't mean they can't have influence and impact in the real world and i would say that book in all its glorious ridiculousness probably reflects my philosophical theological and metaphysical worldview more closely than any religious text and this is Dr. Helen Chesky. My favourite book this year is called Why We Sleep by Matthew Walker. And I like it because it's... I've never read a good science book on sleep, but I have all my life been very dedicated to the cause of sleep. The thing I hate more than anybody else is waking people up. I just think if you need to rest, your body knows what it's doing, leave it alone. And this book provided all the science that basically said I was exactly right. It's quite scary if you're into alarm clocks and only getting six hours sleep, but it's fascinating and it really applies to everyone. I think everyone will get something out of it. And a book you'd buy somebody as a Christmas present? I Sometimes the older books are forgotten a bit and there is a book that 
makes me laugh out loud every time I read it and it's, it goes back a bit, it's Porterhouse Blue and it's about, um, it's a ridiculous setup at the University of Cambridge and it, it's about these dons and how they live their lives and it, I can't read it on trains because it just, especially there's a bit in the middle where I'm just choking with laughter and it's, it's beautifully observed and I, yes, I think people should laugh more so that is a good book to make people laugh. Next up is one third of Festival of the Spoken Nerd. It's Steve Mould. And Steve, tell me about your favourite book you've encountered this year. Uh, it would have to be um, How to Be a Scientist. It's for uh, seven to ten year olds, roughly. It's full of amazing experiments that you can do. Also, a little bit about how to think like a scientist and uh, some sort of uh, profiles of famous scientists like Mary Anning or Einstein, things like that. Um, it's written by fantastic author Steve Mould. Um, and uh, so yeah I recommend you uh, buy that for your niece or nephew or kids or, or whatever my name is Hannah Fry and my favourite book that I've encountered this year is called Unfair by Adam Benfordado uh, I hope that's how you say his name uh, because I admire him very greatly it's, it's a book that I read uh, while I was researching mine and it's about the criminal justice system in America and it breaks down point by point just how the entire system contributes to something that any logically minded person would scream at how unfair it is. And it's not so much even the content that I found so arresting. I think there's something about someone who is a lawyer, as he is, being able to really distill an argument to its tiniest points and kind of just hit you in exactly the right place, like punches and then counterpunches and then knock you down. Um, it was just an incredibly well written book that I loved. And for a Christmas present, I think the I think I'd go for the book that I also really liked this year, which is How Not to Be a Boy by Robert Webb. Um, which I thought was really funny and warm, but also had just this really important message about how important feminism is for everyone, not just for women. And you know what? I think blooming everyone should know that. Uh, John Butterworth, uh, head of uh, physics at uh, UCL. Yeah. Uh, so and astronomy. And astronomy. Yeah, yeah. That's a don't lot to take astronomy. on, isn't it? The very small, the very big. It's too much. It's too much. Why are you in charge of the very small and the very big? Because astronomy is just physics in space, really. Wow. Oh, so... This is uh, Book Shambles, end of the year roundup, and uh, I wondered what books in particular you, have you found inspiring? And it doesn't merely have to be on science, literally, you know, what, what have you been enjoying? Um, I actually just finished reading a graphic novel called Logic Comics, mm. about the Search for Truth, uh, with Bertrand Russell, and I found that very entertaining and quite thought provoking, I would say. It's great, isn't it? It's really good, yeah. Yeah, I, it's. Um, I, I thought they were going to lose it because it's so, it's, there's so many nested levels of, of narrative in it and it starts off with the, 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 they're in it, you know, so you, it breaks the fourth wall or whatever and, and, then, um, and then it starts with a, a lecture by Bertrand Russell from 1940. It's during the war, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, it's when America's deciding whether to get into the war or not and, and he's a pacifist in the First World War but actually not prepared to say they shouldn't get in the Second World War which is all a little peripheral to the, the hardcore logic that they start talking about later, but it's not. And, and, and there's lots of good stuff in there about whether a, 
a book about science and maths should be driven by the characters or by the science and the maths, and some of which I agreed with and some of which I didn't. And in a true philosophical style, they, they argue about that as well and don't tell you the answers. They just start make your own mind up. And it's a great book. Because yeah. they've done it, I think they've done a new one about democracy, haven't they? Or I, I think I possibly. don't know, actually. This yeah. a, we have a little book club around our way that, that we, we, we people who never read books suggest books to each other. And uh, about once every four months. And this, so this is suggested by a guy called Rob Minto, who used to work for The Times. Um, that's his book, and we haven't discussed it yet. So everything I've said about it might be wrong. You might tell me that actually I missed the point entirely, but I enjoyed it anyway. But no, I think it's, it's, it's that that whole thing, which is, it's about having a discussion. It's about going. Oh, this is how we should do the book, and these yeah. are the ideas. Yeah. And as you said, yeah, it's very kind of you know. There's there's, there's many different. They even discuss the editorial on. process of the book in the book, and I, I like that kind of thing sometimes. I mean, it can get tiresome sometimes, but it's very good in that case. It's also nice because you're not far away. Your office is is uh, is a short walk from Conway Hall, uh, which is the home of the humanists and and, right. and when you walk in there right. you kind of get that you go oh there's still some old men here you go well of course i knew bertrand russell yeah, yeah, and yeah. that lovely library that they've allegedly, got allegedly there's a teapot in one of the cupboards but no one knows what it's no one. no <laughs> <laughs> the uh if you got that by the way you've moved through to round <laughs> two uh this uh so what apart from that what else have you been uh enjoying um, I don't. I must say, I don't read as much as I should. So um, I, I don't, I'm trying to think now of a list of. I reread some Ian Banks, Ian M. Banks, actually the sci-fi stuff, which was good. Um, that was another. That was my recommendation for the book club. I don't think they liked it very much, but some of them did. Because here's one. To, by the way, stop playing that guitar. The uh, this I should say, by the way, is in the background. We can hear uh, She Makes War doing their sound checks. We're currently at Hammersmith Apollo. Uh, I thought doing, that was uh, a backing track for us. I didn't realise it would. Oh yeah, well, well you can make it into your own film. The uh, so now Ian, I've never read any of science fiction. All right, but that is get, he's creating an entire. Society, world, culture—that's yeah, the whole. To, to my, actually, the, the, to my mind, the fascinating. I think it's the only credible utopia anyone's ever written, and I, or one that I've ever read anyway. Given that I don't read enough, then I, uh, and uh, so if anyone knows any more, I'd be really happy to not hear about them. But yeah, it's like human beings have actually total control over their own bodies, over their physical universe, to all, for all practical purposes, not limited by resource anymore or anything like that. What do we do? Do we destroy ourselves or do we all go into virtual reality and atrophy? Or what do we do? How do we keep ourselves interested when there are, on the face of it, no challenges left? And I like, and he sets adventure stories in the middle of this civilization and it's just it's really thought-provoking and interesting well the good news is that sound check was uh, she makes war doing a song called stargazing so uh, it will all link we can probably fade into there i don't know how it works on that kind of thing thanks john it's a pleasure nice to talk to you my name is laura kidd also known as she makes war and the my favorite book i've encountered this year is big magic by elizabeth gilbert and the book I would recommend or buy for Christmas present is the same book because it's so inspiring and brilliant and everyone should read it. Just two upstairs. Okay. Start Shut up and walk up there. Do I need the book with me? You don't, it's, 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 I don't need the book with me because it's verbal, isn't it? This is, uh, I'm also joined by uh, Steve Best. Is this on? Is mine on as well? Yeah, yeah, your, your microphone's on as well. Oh my goodness. We're just, just walking away from uh, uh, Laura Life. from She Makes Wars sound check. And um, Steve, uh, I first met, I don't know the first gig we did, may well have been somewhere like Comedy at Soho Comedy where? It's not Comedy at Soho Ho. Oh yes, might yeah, be. Don't go looking, it's, it's not there anymore. Wasn't it, it was, it was taken over by someone else, I'm sure, it's then, gone now, running yeah. the ground. To the, in the... 
was a lovely gig. Um, you have put together two books, uh, which are basically because you, as, as well as, as being a stand-up, you love photography. I do love photography. I've been doing it maybe nearly as long, but not professionally. But it's suddenly gone in, in from one to the other in a way. So um, absolutely, yes. So the first one was um, Comedy Snapshot? Comedy Snapshot, and that kind of says it all. It was a snapshot of the comedy circuit. Um, so it was a, uh, I took pictures backstage with a little point and shoot at the time, which is not a euphemism. A euphemism. It, was a, it was a lovely little Ricoh camera I had, and sometimes I forgot that and I used my camera phone. So some of the pictures are fairly grainy and dodgy, but I actually quite like them. So that I took pictures of comedians backstage and then asked them a few questions, when and where they started comedy, four or five facts about themselves. Uh, that was it, really. And one line of joke, if they had one. And, that's, and it is, as you said, that snapshot of... Because it's a very egalitarian view, because you have some very famous people in, in the book, and people who become famous, and then obviously you have lots of people who... You know, the, the circuit is, in much the same way as like acting, is filled with people who are often in work, in theatre, but you wouldn't know them because they're not famous on the telly. And comedy is filled with, with people who... You know, there's that term now, you know, the road comic. Comics who... Well, I don't think they'll be famous necessarily. No, but, but I think... we'll always be working. But I, th- I think that was true maybe ten years ago, that, that they always will be working. I think that the comedy circuit has actually changed to the extent where there's a lot of people at the bottom, loads of open spots, quite a few at the top. That middle ground, which was the journeyman comedian, person comedian, is, is, is getting harder and harder, I think. So that first book really were the people I worked with and gig with, and there were a lot of those kind of comedians on that. So you think that, that that snapshot there now goes back to, if not a utopian time, but a time where, which was perhaps the peak, is it, would you say that? I, I, I absolutely, for, for, for the comedian, if, yes, I would say, it was the purple patch for, for a lot of comedians where you can make a really good living without being famous. I think that's kind of gone now. Mm. Do you think? What's your... I, don't, I don't know, I mean, I'm a little bit further away um, from, from it now, and I, I do get surprised when I find out that money hasn't kind of changed and yes. the thing has gone down. Well, that... And I do see that people of our generation, there, there are some who are kind of a little bit angry now because some of the bigger chains are no longer yeah. um, functioning and... I, I think that's the big thing. I think the, te- the internet and television has taken it, taken that away from that. And, and it's a buyer's market, so a lot of the clubs that have started now know they can get comedians for the price they can get them 20 years ago. Yeah. And I think it's much harder. That's what I find interesting is the younger comics. Like you see some people who are just tremendously, uh, not really adept, but the skills they have is, 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 is remarkable. And then I think, well, of course, one of the things they can do is they can watch almost every comic. I mean, when we were kids, when, we first, when you first got into stand-up, certainly when alternative comedy began, this excitement about turning on and seeing the young ones and the comics that present some late-night shows on Channel 4. Um, it, you know, if you were lucky... Your dad had a Betamax player that you could tape, you know, some of these little bits of whether it was Rick Mail or whether it was Hale and Pace or John Dowie, uh, you know, John on, Dowie on, on, is on in the, the next Robert book, yeah. <laughs> um, show, which was, you know, for uh, and now, of course, you just go on YouTube. Yeah. And I think twelve thousand comedians. It's, it's, it, I, I don't know that. I, I, yes, I mean, I'm, I grew up on vinyl. Right? My parents played the goons and I'm sorry I read it again we didn't actually have a television until I was 13 or 14 so you're very old by the way people listen yeah. to tell his voice but you're very, very old man yes um, uh, but I um, uh, yeah I, I just think it, it, it's so there and, and, I, and I don't know if that stops 
young, the younger generation going to see live comedy, or if they see comedy, they want to see people they know and have seen on the television. So I, th- I think it, I, I've certainly heard from club promoters that uh, they suddenly sometimes go, "Well, there's been a huge drop. Why aren't the students coming anymore, or whatever it was?" And then they go, "People that eat, you know, one of my friends who always puts on great bills, but the people stopped going. They went, oh, well, none of these people have been on telly.' Yeah. And suddenly, telly became this benchmark. And even though there would be three brilliant comedians on." And they'd always trusted the club in the past. They went, oh, we want to see yeah. telly people now. I, I and you sometimes see, I see it on Facebook, there's some um, comedians group, uh, like industry group, where you will get these kind of people going, yeah, need big TV uh, name to do show in Aberdeen, 100 yeah. pounds. <laughs> and you go, you can't have all of these things. But I think the problem also is, is I think there, there's some big TV names who would go and do those clubs, not for the money, obviously, but to try out their stuff for a tour. So, so the, the really good working comedians who aren't on television are finding hard to get some of those gigs anyway even though it's less money because some of the big names are, are, are taking those spots just to try out material it's so. not when Brian Cox goes and does smaller observatories just to try out something <laughs> that's like the one so that's a good analogy some, some, some of the, the burgeoning <laughs> physicists go on yeah. probably some of the big you know, Jim Al-Khalili's come to our local uh, you're, gonna, you're losing me slowly there but um, <laughs> but but I think the, uh, the the university thing is a good a point because I, I think we remember that big university tour we all used to do. I mean, I remember supporting Jenny Claire on that and Simon Munnery, and we did like forty gigs, and th- that that was the audience that then came into the clubs. And there's no gigs in universities anymore. Well, very few. So, so your I was say your new book is Joker Face. The new book is yes, yeah, so it's a kind of a follow-on from the comedy snapshot. So there's 528 com- comedians in that one, and Robin Ince is in there too, in there. Some, so that's the same kind uh, of thing. Can I just repeat that: there's 528 <laughs> comedians in there, and Robin Ince is in there too. That's an insult, isn't it? Yeah, it's, 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 it's on the circuit for years. Yeah, but, but, but I, I actually the comedy snapshot because we, we gig together a long time, but the comedy snapshot was the one that I, I really gigged with for a while and, and you hadn't been on the circuit for one. No. And so the, 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 com- the Joker face, the next one, I actually made a wish list of the comedians I really wanted to get. So you were one of them I wanted to get in there. Um, so there were a few people that I really... So I, the, the first one was who I gigged with, the second one was more of a bit of a wish list, plus there's a lot of open spots in there as well. So it's a similar thing. Yeah, because I remember you coming, I was doing a gig with Alexi Sell and you came and... You, you did know, a some, lovely was, thing for me there. That was, but it's, it's, it's great to... No, it's a, it's a wonderful bit of, of, of history because it's quite hard to, you know, the kind of... History of comedy is not always very well written because either you get people who are writing and they're trying to then just copy out routines that people have done. Yes, and then been a few every books. now and again you get people who are able to be both kind of academically smart and also at the same time get that sense of celebration. But this is this is a really simple way of doing it. It's just a splurge of comedians. There's you know five over five hundred comedians, and it's just a little snapshot. And it's a record of the circuit. I don't think anybody's done that anywhere in the world in the sense of you know the US has got a huge circuit, but no one's got that amount of comedians in there. Uh, just with a little one line, a few facts. I think it's, it's you know the circuit's changing as we were saying. So who knows? It's a bit of history. As a photographer, do you enjoy buying books of other people's photography? Are the people you particularly ad- ad- admire? Is it not really your thing? It's, it's weird, isn't it? Because I, I now meet more photographers, and I, because I've come in from the the other from comedy, which is a strange way of coming into it. I don't know that much. I mean, there's a few photographers I really have loved, some travel photographers. There's a guy, Galen Rowell, or, who um, actually died in a plane crash, but he took some amazing pictures. There's a big the one where he, there's a rainbow coming into the palace at, uh, at last in, in um, Tibet, and he ran about three miles to get the, the rainbow to hit. The, the, and it's a fa- So there's a few people, and there's lovely black and white people. There's uh, 
white people, black and white photographers, who I actually, and they might be black and white as well, I'm not sure, but um, they, uh, uh, yeah, so I've actually got more into photography in the last couple of years. Who else do you enjoy then? There's a guy, um, who, a guy called Lee Jeffries, who, who um, has gone into the streets and taken pictures of homeless people, but he's got really, he's actually kind of befriended them, and he, all the money goes to the homeless charities. And he's got a book called Fallen Angels, which is... But the, 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 the pictures he gets are just extraordinary. I mean, they're really grainy, and he's got some kind of post-production that I don't understand, but they're lovely pictures. There are some of those street um, photographs. Like there was that uh, wonderful documentary, uh, and I've forgotten her name. What's the name of that wonderful... Uh, the, the woman who was a nanny and would just go out in the New York streets and... Oh, uh, yeah, the trouble is we're just pre-gig, and therefore my memory <laughs> no longer functions. But, uh, Such a wonderful memory. There are you know, people like Don, Don McCullough. Yeah, Don McCullough. a really wonderful collection of, as well as his most famous for his war photography, yeah. perhaps yeah. also things in Northern Ireland, but there's a wonderful one of just a book of his images of England. Yes. And, you know, yeah. those, those little moments in market stalls and those... Because uh, um, I'm, oh, yeah. I'm a big fan of people like Lisette Model as well. Right, right. Um, and, and Vivian Mayer, that's the person who... Well remembered. You know, a beautiful book of, uh, and documentary of her work where she was someone who just took hundreds and hundreds of photos and every single one somehow people went, oh my God, they're all composed perfectly right, right, right. throwing them up there. Um, I think I, the thing I do like candid stuff I, I don't I'm not into I'm not, I've done a few weddings since then but they've hired me because they've seen my other stuff which is generally black and white from a distance and getting the reactions and laughter and all this stuff so I try and stay in the shadows and take pictures and, and I like that about a lot of the photographers I like as well so um, but Don McCollum is, is someone I really kind of looked into but he, he was always accused of being uh, producing his um, negatives as quite quite dark looking but that's because I was doing war stuff and it's all a bit I, I think he get, he's given up that now but he doesn't do any of the war well, his, his autobiography Unreasonable Behaviour is very interesting yeah. and also just when you find out how he managed to get those you know just basically sneaking in with yeah. different you know groups of people and yeah. then kind of going what are you doing here and, just, and he, he's I think it was in, in the documentary about him and, and perhaps he mentions in his book as well uh, that a lot of the things the access he got you could never get now well, because things are you know the, 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 the PR of war is yes. carefully uh, controlled but I, I, but I think that generally is the same for everything I mean even in, in comedy you know some of the big stars I'm sure that years and years ago you could get into that I mean I think that's the beauty of hopefully what I'm doing is that I know most of the comedians so they're very relaxed some of the pictures I've got for the next book I'm trying to do which is comedians back to front which is images backstage to front stage um that you've got in there there's some just lovely pictures because they're relaxed in front of you because I'm just chatting to them as well so um, that's one of the things that I think is, a, is, a, is a, an interesting project for a book which would be a photo taken almost the split second before someone walks out onto the stage and then a photo of the moment they reach the microphone yeah because sometimes especially during big gigs there's that moment where someone is like, almost they look like they're about to be physically sick. All the tension and possibility of failure is on the face. And then within two seconds, ba-da! Yeah, yeah. But then you've got, you want to get the picture of them coming off as well. Yeah. But I think someone did that in Edinburgh a few years ago, of getting pictures, I think, coming off stage. Um, a little collection there. But um, there's, there's so many little projects you want, I want to get involved in like that. That's, 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 that's I think it's a lovely idea. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, so both your books are still available, Comedy Shop Show, and the new one is uh, Joker Face. Joker Face, very good. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, Josie, I think there should be more fun things for our Patreon supporters. What about you? I don't. 
Oh. <laughs> I do. Uh, and you're lucky, Robin. Your wish, your Christmas wish has come true. Because they, your New Year's wish has come true. Because... Uh, because your Hanukkah wish has come true. Because your Patri- Whitson wish. Sure. We've just don't know when this is going to go out. So we'll cover your all wish the has come true because pa- because of Patreon faffing about and changing things and threatening to make people's lives different. What we're going to do is uh, put in tiered rewards. So you know, uh, if you put in slightly more, you'll receive more glamorous things, more signed books, tote bags, etc. If you put in slightly less, we'll still love you and not love you any less. But we might come grateful. around to your house and take one of the tote bags you had from someone else away which if you have as many as i do is a blessing really it is it is quite nice to go i wonder which uh book festivals etc <laughs> this year <laughs> thanks very much for listening and remember that there is part two of this backstage collection of chats coming in the next couple of days where we spoke with uh chris hadfield and brian cox and charlotte church and joe brand and lots of other people So keep your eyes peeled to your podcast app or your feed or SoundCloud or wherever you listen to the show for that. And remember, please do give us five-star ratings on iTunes because or Apple Podcasts if that's what you use on your phone because that really does help us out. Thanks very much. This podcast is part of the Cosmic Shambles Network. Josie Robbins' Book Shambles was produced by Trent Burton of Trunkman Productions. 